0: you may want to grab a Bible. We're finishing
1: our journey through Luke this morning. You can grab a Bible up the back. Ooh, they were there. (laughs) We're going to be in Luke 23 today, friends. We're going to be uh, finishing our journey through Luke, we've been following our way all the way through Luke, if you've been a regular with us here at Church in the Marketplace in recent months, and today the story has reached its conclusion, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, If if you follow along, we're looking at some very famous last words, that is our theme this morning, famous last words, throughout history there's been quite a number of famous last words, there's been some funny ones, some poignant ones. Uh, and uh, I did compile a bit of a list of some, uh, some, some of my favourite last words, some of my favourite famous last words of different people down throughout history. Would you like to hear some of them? I'm pleased you said that. Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde was, of course, a great wit, a great raconteur, was a great uh, author from the 19th century. He was on his deathbed in hospital. He looked around his hospital ward, and saw wallpaper they didn't like. So Oscar Wilde, the great wit on moments before he died, he, uh, he looked around the room and said, this wallpaper is horrendous. Either it goes or I do. <laughs> uh, another one of my favorites is a fellow by the name of General John Sedgwick. John Sedgwick was a general in the American Civil War. He poked his head up and looked across at the enemy and said, wow, well, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. think about it. Uh, James Rogers was a man convicted to death. He was on death row. Uh, He was set for execution by firing squad. And when he was asked if he had any final requests, he replied, why yes, a bulletproof vest. That was quite a clever final request from that fellow, James Rogers. And uh, a more recent one, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. I'm a bit of an Apple man. I'm an, I'm an Apple fan. I'm a fan of Steve Jobs' work, a, certainly a visionary. Uh, Steve Jobs, according to his sister Mona, his last words, or as he was dying, was, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Amazing stuff. Who knows what Steve Jobs was seeing in his final moment. So last words can be powerful they can be quirky, and and they can be very profound. They can be very significant. And I think the last words we're encountering here in today's readings are indeed among some of the most famous and profound last words of all time. Next week is Advent. Next week is the beginning of a new church year. So today is the final day of the church calendar, and we've been working our way through Luke's gospel, and today the story reaches its climax. And we have the story of Jesus being crucified alongside two criminals, one to his left and one to his right. It's, of course, often a story we think of, we associate with Easter. But seeing as we've come to the end of our journey through Luke, I thought it might be appropriate this morning if we Consider ourselves the final things, the last things, when our journey on this earth has come to an end. What will our last words be? What will be said about us when when our time comes? We're going to challenge ourselves this morning to wonder, well, what do I want my legacy to be? When it's all said and done, when these shells of bodies break down and die and give up the ghost, uh, what will be left and, and where... Will I be? There's a little exchange between these three men, Jesus and two convicted criminals, I think is is very, very enlightening. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 23. We're going to be looking at verses 33 through to 43. Luke 23, verse 33, says this When they came to the place named the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. But let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. in paradise. Wonderful words, yeah? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you might become real to us through the pages of Scripture this morning. We pray that you might capture our minds and capture our hearts in this moment. And all the people said, Amen. There's some interesting folklore about these two men, about these two criminals. A lot of folklore is built up around them. They've even been ascribed names, I think mean, Gestus and Dismas, these two names. We don't really know anything about them other than what they're told in the scriptures here, in these stories of the crucifixion of Christ. About the only thing we really know about them is that they are both convicted criminals. Now, I want you to know that the Greek word here used to describe these men is the same word that's used to describe Barabbas in John's Gospel, which is, you think of Barabbas. Barabbas was set free. He's described as an insurrectionist who was set free by Pilate instead of Jesus. It's a strong Greek word. It means a violent criminal. It's not just a pickpocket. These men are not just swindlers trying to... Sort of, sort of trick people out of the money. No, no. These are violent men. These are violent criminals. It's sometimes translated as robbers or plunderers or as insurrectionists. I saw some commentators even perhaps suggest that maybe they might, Barabbas and these two might have been part of the same criminal gang. These are bad guys. These are bad men. These are, are violent criminals. You might think of them today as, as muggers or, or home invaders. These are not just your average run-of-the-mill petty thieves. No, these are... These are bad guys who are are getting what they deserve that day. These guys have lived a life of crime as far as we know. don't really know a lot about their background. What we do know is simply that the law has caught up with them. The law has caught up with them and they are being killed for their crimes. They are paying for their crimes with their life. They're being crucified alongside Jesus that day at Golgotha. This is really our first little takeaway, I think, from this story, is that ultimately, the law will catch up with you. Ultimately, the law catches up with every single one of us. Now, these days, of course, most of us aren't likely to be hung on a cross for our crimes, but nevertheless, the law of sin and death will catch up with every single one of us at some point. Now, that might come as a bit of a shock to many of us here this morning, if you don't like to think of yourself as a criminal I came along to church here this morning, Pete, and the bloke up the front's calling me a criminal. I think what we can learn from this little story here is that you don't have to be necessarily be a criminal for the law of sin and death to catch up with you. The Jesus story is clear. God's story throughout scripture, throughout Scripture is very clear. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Each of us is guilty and the wages of sin is death. We started off the year looking at Genesis, that meta-narrative, God's story, the story of beginnings that makes sense of this world, of who we are and how we came to be in the way we are. And and we learned how our, our forebears took what didn't belong to them. They took from the tree of good and evil. And as such, sin entered the world, a brokenness in our relationship with God. We were estranged from God. Sin separates us from God and, and as a result, death entered, entered the world. A uh, death is 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 not natural. It's not the way God intended it to be. But ever since then, these earthly bodies of ours will grow old and, and break down and will one day die. They'll literally give up the ghost, meaning to sort of, you know, the flesh may die, but our spirit will will live on. That's what that phrase giving up the ghost means. I had a little example, I had a little A little encounter with that just this week, not of giving up the ghost just yet, but just this week, I'm back into my tennis. I've been playing tennis since I was a teenager, and for the first time in many, many years, the competition up here, they not only involve doubles, but they involve some singles as well. If any of you play tennis, you'll know that for us adults, for we grown-ups, it's all doubles. You've only got to cover half the court. But for the first time in about 30 years, I reckon, I was put on a hard court, expected to cover the entire court by myself, singles, I couldn't believe it. I was standing in the middle of the tennis court thinking, crikey, there's a lot of ground to cover. And so I found myself running from this side of the court to the next, and all of a sudden I'm finding, oh my goodness, I'm not picking up those balls as quickly as I used to. Unless it was within a few meters of me, I just wasn't getting there. And I found myself not only running, but not able to pull up and hitting the net. I am now one of those old blokes whose knees are giving way. I found myself thinking, I really don't want to change the direction too quick. I came home and told Carly later that evening, Carly, I I think I might be getting old. She didn't care, of course, but the fact remains that these knees and this body of mine I now sense is is actually starting to maybe not be quite as responsive as it it used to be. One day, we are all going to meet our maker. These bodies will give up the ghost. Hopefully, it won't be in a torturous form of crucifixion like these two men, but the question nevertheless remains, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Can I suggest that you don't wait until your dying breath, till your dying day like these two criminals to respond to Jesus. Many a man, many a woman have lived their life thinking, I'll come to Christ at the 11th hour only to die at 10.45. Don't wait, friend. Choose life today. Choose Jesus today knowing that the body that you inhabit for a period, for a time will one day Give up the ghost. So there we have two men, two convicted, violent criminals, robbers, insurrectionists, and they've come to the end of the road. They've come to the end of the line. Death is about to descend upon them. They're both in similar circumstances, exactly the same circumstances, along with Jesus. Earthly life is about to end, but with very different attitudes. Very different attitudes. The first criminal, Well, he's mocking Jesus, isn't he? He says, save yourself. Aren't you supposed to be the Christ? Save yourself and save us. What's interesting here about this guy is that he seems to have a little bit of theological knowledge about him. He knows who Jesus is supposed to be and he's taunting him, mocking him. He's, 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 he doesn't really want salvation. He knows that his life is about to end. He's quite open and honest about who he was. There's no sense of pretense about this fellow. He's quite open about the fact that, well, he's getting what he deserves. I'm not going to try to ask forgiveness. I'm just going to heap insults and mockery upon this fellow beside me who pretended to be something else, who pretended to be something that he wasn't. Both they and the soldiers in the crowd that day were told are, are mocking Jesus. For them... Jesus must have seemed like a pathetic figure because it must have seemed to them like he was pretending to be something that he wasn't. The Messiah, the Christ, had just welcomed him with triumph only the, a week before, of course. Welcomed him as their coming king, but it, it had all gone to nothing, and now he's bloodied and beaten naked up on a, on a cross. Where was your army, Jesus? It never happened, it's it came to nothing. His disciples have fled so much for this Messiah. The word Messiah or Christ simply means anointed one. And this criminal knew that the Messiah or the Christ was supposed to be in the business of saving. That was what the Messiah was supposed to do. They thought they were going to wait for Messiah to come in, raise an army, kick out the Romans, and reclaim Jerusalem for the Jewish people. Well, that had it all come to naught, hadn't it? Whereas this fellow is quite open about who he is. He beats people up and takes their stuff. At least he's honest about it. At least he's not trying to weasel his way out of it. This kind of attitude of, I lived my life, I'm not going to make any apologies for it, is prevalent still today. We don't always sense it, I think, in our modern culture because we're immersed in it. But can I encourage you to have your radar up for the rampant individualism that is out there today? I lived my life, I did it my way. Uh, you do you, I do me, I'm going to make the rules for me, I make the rules for my life, I'm the Lord of my life, I'm the king of my life. Essentially what those people are saying is that I am my own God. Most Aussies won't confess that out loud, they won't say it in as many words, but functionally that's what they mean. That's what they're saying. When they're going about living their life with no reference to God at all, simply going about doing their own thing. I'll do it if it's good for me, and if I think, I can get away with it. This attitude is rampant. The, the uh, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That's why that song is top of the pops at funerals these days. I've done a few funerals in my time, and I've experienced families that want to play Frank Sinatra, I did it my way as the closing song. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a Frank Sinatra fan. I love Frank, Swinging on a Star, Ladies a Tramp, New York. I love Frank, nothing against Frank. But can I ask you as your minister, please don't choose that song at your funeral. It's probably apt for many people today, like this criminal. I did it my way, it's probably an appropriate song to close on. But can I encourage you, particularly at funerals, to... Have your theological antenna up. The theology lecturer at my Bible college said, let's make sure you've got your theological ears on, particularly at a funeral. Listen hard to what's being said and more particularly about what's not being said. So, as much as I love Frank, whenever I hear those strains, oh, I did it my way, I think, what a what an appalling sentiment. What an appalling set of last words. I did it my way. It's incredibly self-referential, self-glorifying, isn't it? It's incredibly actually God-denying. I just did my own thing. I just did it my way. Please don't let that be the last words at your funeral. And maybe, if you can, suggest to your family, don't let it be the last words played at at a loved one's funeral. Apart from anything else, it offers no hope. No hope for the future at all for this person. Oh, Reg was a good bloke. He's out fishing in his favourite... I'm sure he's found his favourite fishing hole in heaven. When in actual fact, Reg was just a grumpy old selfish bugger who did whatever he wanted. I don't say that at their funeral, but... (laughs) But let's be honest, that's the reality for a lot of people at funerals these days. We don't... We're not honest with each other at funerals. That's the first man, that's the first attitude, that's your first option. I did it my way, it's all about me, I lived my life the way I wanted to. The second criminal crucified that day, however, is is very different. We're actually told in the other Gospels that both of the criminals crucified with Jesus, mocked Jesus, but this guy appears at some point to have a change of heart. This guy actually turns on his fellow criminal. In verses 40 to 43, if you've got it open in front of you, you can see he rebukes his fellow criminal. He says, don't you fear God? He says, we're all in the same boat here. We're all hanging on a cross here. Why are you mocking? He says, we're getting punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. This is a wonderful confession. I just want to pause on these couple of verses here. This is a wonderful example to us all. This is a wonderful confession of faith. We sometimes think of confession in the church as only sort of confessing our sins. We think of sort of the the Catholic tradition of, of confession, perhaps. But confession is so much more than that. You can also confess your faith we christians talk about uh, the good confession the, the confession of faith we confess that jesus is lord of our life this confession he has two parts it has two elements notice what's being what he's saying here firstly he's radically honest this guy's honest there's no excuses from this fellow there's no excuses there's no whinging There's no complaints. There's not even an ask for any clemency. He doesn't even ask Jesus to get him down from the cross. No, no. He knows he's getting what he deserves. Brutally honest. He's honest at this point with himself, with Jesus, and with those looking on. He's he's honest about his own situation. He realizes that he's a sinner deserving of death. There's a wonderful honesty there. But then there's also a wonderful acknowledgement of who Jesus is. There's a wonderful acknowledgement that actually, you know what, Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has done nothing wrong. Might have, well, how does he know this? He might have, of course, heard some of the stories. He might have heard some of the rumours about Jesus. He might have known this. This itinerant preacher from up Galilee way, from Nazareth way, heard the stories that this particular Messiah is different. He's not raising an army and exacting vengeance on his enemies. He's a He's a forgiving guy. He, he eats with sinners and tax collectors and, and prostitutes. This is a very different kind of a Messiah, messiah a very different kind of, of a Christ. And, you know, and I think maybe Jesus' actions that day probably swayed him as well. You read earlier that Jesus says, Father, forgive them, but for they don't know what they're doing. He could have called down legions of angels to just smite the enemy, to nuke them, but he didn't. He willfully, he happily, he went to the cross for you and for me, taking the punishment that we deserve, asking for forgiveness for the people who are driving nails through his hands and feet. I reckon that really touched this guy. He had a change of heart. Because then, can you believe what he asks for? Can you believe what this man's final words were. This convicted criminal, a violent criminal, He's confessed, confessed who he is. He's confessed that Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a wonderful confession. Can you see that this guy is actually acknowledging that crucifixion is not the end? He realizes that death is about to descend, but this guy is actually making a claim that death is not the end. He asked Jesus to be remembered, and where? From his kingdom, from his heavenly kingdom. This man is making a statement of faith that Jesus will rule even in death. This man is showing more faith than the disciples who fled off into the night when he was arrested. This guy shows incredible faith. This guy, well, we don't know that he's got his theology all lined up. We simply know that that, that moment, having lived a life of crime as far as we know, is honest and humble, repentant, and desperately seeks Jesus' help. And then, can you believe? it? Can you believe it? Jesus' response? In another of history's most glorious last words, there are actually seven recorded statements of Jesus from the cross. This is one of them. This is perhaps the most glorious for you and for me and for every hardened criminal out there. Can you believe what he says? He says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that good news? This guy did nothing to deserve this. This guy's hanging on a cross as a criminal. This is scandalous stuff. This is why we call this scandalous grace. It's hard for us to get our head around because what we're actually seeing here is a criminal snatched from the jaws of of death and hell into life abundant, even though he didn't deserve it. This guy is going to get what your dear, saintly grandmother who never hurt anyone is going to get. This is scandalous grace on the part of Jesus Christ. When things couldn't get any worse. A convicted criminal, just the way the Romans wanted it, as a, as a sign to everyone else out there, don't do this, this is what happens to you when you oppose Rome. Jesus says, no, I'm going to snatch you out of sin and death and hell and take you with me to be in paradise. Little aside for the theological nerds out there, a lot does depend on where you place the comma in the English translation. It may not actually be, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus, in the original Greek, there's none of that uh, punctuation. So Jesus could actually just be saying, this day I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Remembering Jesus has gone to the, about to go to the grave, about to go to Hades himself for three days. So the timing is kind of irrelevant because I think God is beyond our earthly notions of time. But what a staggering promise Jesus makes to this man. It's never too late. It's literally a case of where there is life, there is hope. I think this has a couple of really Important consequences for us. It has a couple of really important points of application this morning. When you're hanging by a thread, you too can come to Jesus and simply say, Remember me. This guy's in agony. Crucifixion was a brutal thing. Couldn't get any couldn't get any worse. This is why the Romans did it. But in that moment, he's still able to cry, Jesus, remember me. Next time you feel as though you're hanging by a thread, know that you too can can come to Jesus and, and cry out to him, Jesus, remember me. It's never too late, even in the darkest hour, even in your last moments. Even when you're feeling unworthy, I know there's a lot of people out there who feel like I couldn't possibly come to church, Pete. The roof would fall in. I get told all the time, "Not worthy. I've got to to clean up my act before I come to church." Just come, I said. I talk you all up. They're lovely people. Just come. Just come to church. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all in the same boat. This story tells us that there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's no room for arrogance in the Christian story, friends. This story of all stories proves it. A convicted criminal promised paradise by Jesus didn't have to do anything other than simply humble himself, confess the reality of his situation, and throw himself upon Jesus' mercy all of your good works, all of your good deeds that you're thinking are going to earn your way into heaven, when you turn up to heaven with your good deeds under your arm, oh, look, I volunteered here and I gave to that, the Bible actually describes them as filthy rags. When St. Peter opens the door to heaven, you see the glory of God's stream, and you're going to look at what you've bought. Filthy rags. Stop trusting in your own goodness. Stop trusting in your own good deeds. Stop trusting in yourself to bring yourself salvation. Jesus is the only way to God. All of sin have fallen short of the glory of God, but because of Jesus' atoning work on the cross that day, you too can be saved. Can I encourage you this day to know that there is indeed hope, even in the darkest of hours, even when you feel as though you're hanging by a thread, even when you feel as though you're not worthy, think about that Repentant criminal. Think about this man calling out to Jesus. Think about his last words and may your last words echo them. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, remember me When you come into your kingdom. I put my trust in you, Lord. I turn from all the things that I've put my trust in, all the things of this world, all of the things that I have tried to earn and try to impress you with, we confess that they are but filthy rags. Compared to your holiness and your magnificence, they are nothing, Lord. So we throw ourselves upon your mercy and your grace, your undeserved love. We didn't deserve this, Lord. Each of us like sheep have turned astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. But thanks be to God. The lamb that was slain has washed us clean, washed us wider than the snow. Thank you, Lord. we throw ourselves upon your mercy. Throw ourselves upon the graciousness of your son, Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross paid for me, washes me wider than the snow, prepares me to be welcomed into your eternal presence once more. May our last words, all of our words and actions, all of our living and being and doing. Humble ourselves may we be, ensuring that every word and every deed is in alignment with your good, pleasing and perfect will. We yield our life to you, Father. We surrender. We throw ourselves upon your mercy and your grace this day and forever. Amen. Can I invite our band to come forward and sing Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, the song that picks up these themes. Nothing that we have done <laughs> that can save ourselves. It is only through Christ's atoning work on the cross that we are saved. Thank you, band.